Hey, I'm Yannick Gwizdala, and this is the Yannick Gwizdala Podcast. So it's so much fun to be able to bring you an interview like this one with my next guest, with Jojo Mayer, who is just one of... He's, he's so synonymous with the drums and as a, as a famous drummer, as he even <laughs> references in this interview. But he, for me, he's so much more than that. He's a visionary, he's an innovator, and he's generally doing things 10 years before everyone else. So whatever's hip right now, he probably did it about 10 years ago and has already moved on to the next thing. Um, I love to talk to him. We, we, we've been playing together for over 15 years. He's played in my band. I've played in his band, Nerve. We've been on the road all over the world doing various things and recording in the studio together with, with our own projects and other people's projects. So we, we know each other really well. We have a great great relationship and we normally you know we chat and there aren't other people around to hear it so i'm so glad that i got to record this this basically it's an interview but it's really just us sitting down and shooting the shit um he had just got back uh i think the day before two days before from a uk tour with his band nerve with john davis um and jacob and, and aaron and all the guys and i flew in from la to new york and we did this interview at his place so this is it this is my interview with jojo mayer and don't forget, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to rate the podcast if you dig what you're hearing and leave us a comment. It really helps me produce lots more free content like this and help spread the word about the podcast and get it out there and get get it heard by a lot of people. I think there's some, some great information from, from all of these people I get to sit down and interview. And uh, the more people that get to hear it, the better. You just got back from the UK, right? Yeah. And you survived the north of England. You came out alive. Yeah, it was cool, you know, was it? it was cool. It's like, um, you know, I haven't, this was only the second time that I, that I brought my band to the UK, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I self-promoted the entire tour. Um, so it was, it's interesting, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I would say certainly the intent, like the level of intensity in the UK is towards my music is, 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 is higher than, in the United States, I mean, yeah. London was like really amazing. I mean, you know, like we have our following and our f- fan base in New York sure. that that is loyal, but like in London, it was like you know people just ate it up. You know, I mean, it was like really super intense. Like the intensity level was. You uh, get the impression that they ate it up so much more because there are less opportunities to hear that kind of music there. And perhaps the the audience is a little more jaded in the, in in New York that, or in the states in general. They're like they come to a gig and they're like, mm. yeah, okay, play me something I haven't heard, impress me. I mean, there's not a lot of opportunity to hear that type of music in New York too, you know, because yeah. we're like the only ones that kind of do this type of stuff. Sure. Um, I I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I think <clears throat> uh, you have to understand like the cultural landscape of New York and London are similar, you know, but I think in London has retained a certain vibe of like subculture because I think simply because of the tradition of, of dissent inside that is always prevalent inside the monarchy. I mean, there's always someone to go and, you know, point the finger at the queen, you know, and go like, you know, fuck this. You know, so it it has tradition, I think. So like like being an underdog, is a British thing. I, I think f- for that reason also, I I believe rock and roll really is British music and not American music. Although, it was it it, it generated from um, you know, the originators of rock and roll certainly come from the uh, from 
from the United States, yeah. but 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 it's but it's the it's British music as far as I'm concerned because you know like you know the most important rock rock bands were all British, yeah. and I think that you know that kind of like reflects that uh, that sentiment. So, uh, so as opposed to New York, that has been like now gentrified to the max. You know, re really, I mean, what what has been happening over the past. Oh, two decades, you know. I mean, like uh, with Gi with Giuliani's regime. Uh, well, certainly he made the he made the the city safer, uh -huh. you know. But it's also it's uh, it culturally New York has flatlined a couple of years ago, and the reason for that is quite simple. It's because the the one percent, you know, once once the city has been cleaned up. You know, and you didn't have to be concerned to be mocked on your way home. Yeah. Uh, um, the one percent started to come in, come in here, and, and invest into like the real estate. So you think artists got priced out of the city? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I mean, just just the fact that like the one percent, or actually the sons and daughters of the one percent, are coming to New York because it's hip. And they come here to consume the mythological atmosphere that was created in the last century by a group of forward-thinking, idealistic artists, musicians, and writers. And those type of idealism is no longer sustainable unless you have rich parents. So, in 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 effect, the cultural output of New York City and Williamsburg, for that fact, or Brooklyn, resembles the for, like the former output, like Jaws four compares to the original. Yeah. So it's no longer happening. I mean, it's a real karaoke culture. You know, people can people cannot tell the difference between someone actually singing, someone singing authentically someone lip-syncing and it's not just that they don't are not able to tell the difference they don't care and I don't think that um, the city will be able to give birth to anything new ever again unless the whole thing just completely falls apart you know then we create a situation like you know uh, of um, West Berlin, when the wall was still up, you know, then it became like this, this cell of uh, of creativity. It was out, uh, isolated from the outside world. But um, yeah, and New York is also turning into a ghost town because a lot of the people who own real estate here don't live here anymore. You know, you would turn. I mean, more than once, you know, I ended up in some place for an after party you know, at five o'clock in the morning you know the, at Natasha's or Ahmed's place and it's just, it's literally like an empty four million dollar loft condo with a futon and a suitcase and oh, oh I don't live here I come here twice a week for fashion week it's my dad's yeah so the people don't contribute as far as art anymore I mean they you know there's tech companies who like source their their talent here and they live here for three four five years and then they move back when the kids have to go to school have you know then they move back to north california so i think that's the fate of new york i mean 
it's a magnificent it's a it's still a magnificent structure but um it had its day when it comes to the generating new culture do you do you feel there's a particular like a nucleus a, a, a central location of where that culture is being created now well no yes and no i mean if you look at pop music for instance you know you would have to look at a place like Reykjavik you know all these all these new rock bands and pop bands they all come out of Reykjavik which is a really small isolated place because in Reykjavik it's like well people don't really you know the the uh, uh, the premise of being able to to make a living as a professional musician is so small that people don't even bother about that so they play the music that they like not the music that they believe has a marketplace and there's this isolation and those you know extreme uh, you know daylight uh, in environment where like in the winter it just gets dark like you need a purpose to do something so they create music with integrity so you know all that new stuff which is coming out of a small place like Reykjavik and I think that is I think that's a template for the future that you, know, you can't really stop human creativity, but it will not have this critical mass that assembles in one particular big city, you know. So I think New York, London, Paris, I mean, Paris has been dead for, I don't know, 20 years, uh, has not rendered any significant output, and New York has not rendered any significant output for, let's say, maybe like 10, 15 years. London is still happening, you know, but uh, it's a matter of time. So you know, people go to like Berlin, but I don't really buy it. I think it's a lot, a lot of hype. It's just a cheap place. So I believe um, the new locations are going to be microscopic little cells in small towns, like I don't know, Lyon or Dusseldorf or Luzerne or you know, like uh, off the beaten path. Yeah were you know specifically European uh, well it could be also Detroit for you know I don't know I mean some of the more interesting stuff that that is generated because we were talking before I started rolling and you know you asked me how much of my work is done in the US and I said zero in terms of live work and that's just been a, like a decline since I've lived here like it started off pretty healthy yeah. I would play in the U.S. quite a lot and do cross-country tours and you know all this kind of thing, but it's just the last five years completely disappeared. Do you find that with nerve as well? With your oh band? well, yeah. I mean, you know, John and Aaron and Jacob they run the Bunker Studio, so they have like that's their day gig. Right. You know, I mean, I do a lot of other other, other type of stuff. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, in my in my entity as a as a famous drummer, you know, I. I I do those things, right. you know, like around the world, but uh, we don't play in America so much, really. Um, we play more in Asia and we play more in Europe. I mean, biggest. What's the, what do you feel the biggest difference between an Asian and a U.S. audience is, for instance? Because I know you've been going to China a little bit. Well, recently, Asia and Japan. More well, and Asia more. is really you have to differentiate. Yeah. Asia is basically Japan and the rest. <laughs> yeah. You know. Because Japan is such a different culture, right? Right, right. I mean, you know, Japan has a, has a very um, uh, high, sophisticated, opinionated uh, audience, you know, which is kind of cool, you know. Uh, in Japan, what's, what's interesting 
uh, people in Japan are really into it, which is something that is not happening here anymore. People are not into anything. It's really superficial now, and uh, they're into it. You know, they're completely no, no matter what it is. You know, but but it's just they're into it, and and therefore it it creates it creates a high level of. Uh, of uh, quality, you know, with, with whatever, with the food, with culture, with fashion, with, you know. Uh, so that is interesting. Uh, the rest of Asia, of course, is you pretty much enter a third world country, you know, where, um, you know, you deal with uh, limitations, um, economical limitations, and uh, there's not really a development of, of real culture. I mean, China is, uh, is a false economy. You know, so you, you, you play for a very small selective club that wants to spend money somehow. You know, they already have a Ferrari and they already have Gucci clothes and they were like, well, what else can we do with our money? Well, let's build a jazz club and, you know, like they don't really know what, what is going on for the most part, you know. And, um, not to say that there is some cultural in intelligence in like China, but, uh, uh, but it's microscopic. Um, but it it exists. It exists. You know, it's in Beijing and um, and in. But you have to go out of your way, and, and you can find it. But otherwise, uh, the rest of China uh, or the rest of Asia, more or less, is uh, is a, is a smooth jazz audience. You know, they they like that. You know, yeah. like they're they they're not concerned with like the cultural. You know the cultural uh, occurrences that that concern us. Living, so they're fifteen, you know, twenty years behind, and they're okay with that certain comfort level and no interest in breaking through any barriers. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's just weird, you know. You know, you play, if you play in Indonesia, then you play in, in a jazz club in front of I don't know fifty people that pay like a hundred dollars, which is you know probably like twice like the monthly income of like a worker. So it's kind of like completely uh, disjointed from from reality, uh, and it's might, it might be like a tax write-off for the you know for the uh, for the corporation that 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 runs the the five-star uh, complex resort hotel, which is adjoined to uh, a supermarket or you know a shopping mall where you can buy uh, Armani and. And Louis Vuitton, you know, so it's more of that, you know, it's like, it's not really Do you real. still remember the time, if there was a time when you were growing as a musician and wanting to be a part of the, the generation ahead of you? Did you ever experience that where you were in your late teens or early 20s, but had you this mean thing of like... Ahead of me, like... Playing with your heroes, playing with the people oh, yeah. that you listen to. Well, of course I did, you know. Okay. Yeah. So the, my interest in that being, I think most people do because they get inspired by yeah. whoever it is, Tony or, or whoever right. the guys are, drums, bass, whatever it is. Um, but the, the most interesting thing to me about that is, do you remember when that became a non-reality, when you cut that off and was like, okay, I want to invest more in my own well, peer group and my own culture and my own thing? You, you know, you got to choose your battles somehow, you know, and for me, it was like, you know, my... my my personal biography, uh, I think, which is kind of similar like yours, I mean, we're kind of like outliers in a way, you know, like kind of, we're like kind of self-thought, you know, and, 
you know, we grew up in in a different environment. You know, like we we kind of had like hippie families. You know, and my my dad was a jazz musician. That's pretty unusual. Uh, and um, you know, I was traveling around when I was a kid a lot. Like relocated a lot. Yeah. And um, so I always. I mean, I feel comfortable at the fringe of things, uh, so I probably art- artistically, naturally gravitate towards the fringe and uh, the outlook that the fringe has, yeah. which is not the center. So, of course, you know, you you learn from your heroes and you want to be a part of that, and then you go to it, and you know, as you go get older and wiser you start to understand that it comes with a price you know that you have to cater to the past now that uh, that comes with uh, some sort of like oxymoron if you go like oh okay well I want to do what like Jacopo Astorius did or Tony Williams so these people broke with tradition they came out of tradition but they broke with it and they created something new now, let's say when it comes to jazz, uh, I realized very quickly when I arrived in the early 90s that I came 40 years too late to accomplish that. You know, uh, like those role models, those figures, those forward-thinking people, they were dying. You know, Miles died, passed away, Jocko passed away, Gil Evans passed away, and, and, what they, and the legacy that they left behind was not happening, you know. Was not happening. It was um, because it was a lot of copycats and a lot of people just trying to well, do do what they did. Well, at some point, you know, jazz was was generated from like uh, radical people, and it was listened to by radical people. And now jazz is played by conservative people, and now jazz is also listened by conservative people. You know, you're not allowed to change anything. Uh, and uh, it becomes ac- academic, like unlike you know, or like a hundred years ago, you know, after, after Stravinsky, and we had the postmodern composers, where like uh, the classical music became academia, and you know, people in the laboratory started to try to find solutions for the new music of the 20th century. Uh, you know, like Stockhausen and, and, and Webern and Berg with like 12-tone music. And it was very interesting. The interdisciplinary uh, quality of it was like immense, but uh, they were stuck in academia. And it was people like um, Fletcher Henderson and Louis Armstrong who kicked open the door and find the solution for the musical tsunami that... that that happened in the, in the 20th century. You know, it didn't come from classical music. Classical music was pretty much stuck a hundred years ago and didn't really go anywhere. You know, and now jazz has been in that position for the past 50 years. You know, and so you know, without a doubt, the first 50 years of jazz were, more, more, you know, I mean, compared to the first 50 years, the second 50 years of jazz were kind of like pathetic. You know, I mean, but what an incredible art form this was. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, you know, I came to the conclusion, say, well, if, if I want to be a part of something new, uh, I have to emancipate myself from this and embrace the real tradition of jazz, which uh, to me 
Miles Davis really nicely articulated. You know, he, 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 as I can recall, Miles said, um, "Jazz is not a style or a rhythm, but it's the but it's the art form or the self-expression of of creativity and innovation as it relates to the time we live in. You know, and that responsibility people in jazz have not." taken upon on, you know, they have neglected this responsibility. Um, so those things move on in different places, you know. Of course, there's, you know, uh, like, like when someone like Kendrick Lamar, who I consider to be exceptional, you know, when he starts to collaborate with like jazz musician, then everybody in the jazz world like drops dead and go like, oh yeah, this is the, see, see, jazz is not dead, you know, but <laughs> it, it's really not like that, you know. Uh, and I think you have to look at the, at the whole thing, you know what like at some point I started to understand like I have to look out for the next generation because I became aware that my generation really are a bunch of losers culturally you know like they inherited a legacy from Hendrix and the Beatles and Miles Davis and and Coltrane and what did they do with it did nothing with they it. made like Berkeley School of Music you know, they, they didn't pass on this fire to the next generation. So I started to understand, well, okay, um, they're just concerned with, like, the gig, not with communication, not with art. And this has left us the, the legacy of uh, the skeleton of the music industry that is no longer existing, really, but it's just a... A echo or a phantom from the last century. When you were kind of transitioning from doing like, for want of a better word, fusion gigs and pop gigs and the stuff with Michelle, for instance, and mm. moving towards doing your own thing at um at uh, where was it Shine or yeah yeah, yeah like late nineties, mm. right? Do you remember being fearful at the time? Was there an element of fear, or was it just no? Actually, not at all. No, I was so obsessed and driven and passionate about this idea to create something new mm -hmm. uh, and I still am I you mean, think that I mean, was the key to the success of yeah that, that was that was the key you know on like once I on, on, on you know at one point I saw like I understood like the element of freshness you know that I that I heard in in the music of you know Thelonious Monk, or you know, like, or w what I loved about jazz or rock and roll, you know, and I, I, I discovered that in, in electronic music, you know, or, in, or in, in some electronic music, mm -hmm. and and the idea to express that or have a have an ability to create something new with this was, um, you know, eclipse everything else. I mean, it was a lot of legwork, yeah. a lot of legwork, and most people didn't understand it, and actually, most people still don't understand what it is that I'm, that I'm trying to do. I mean, get like, whoa, well, I really like Jojo. He's such a great drummer. I, I just cannot fathom why he would play such crappy music <laughs> that has no melody and no harmony. And, and they, don't, wow. they don't really understand what it is that I'm, that I'm trying to do. They, they cannot follow because they 
completely stuck in old aesthetics and they're not able to shed those aesthetics but you know it's still not easy I mean you know I'm being nominated and like which is very flattering of course and you know let's say like you know modern drummer readers poll I am now being nominated again in the category of best fusion drummer yeah uh, I guess just for the lack of like um, the lack of a better label you know where yeah where where would they where else could they nominate me you know so it'd be I, I amazing think, to see a, a category in any of those polls in any of those magazines that said musician well yeah you know you kind of have to rethink this whole thing and I think this is the key you know um, you know because we can lament lament and and you know cry our, our hearts out you know how bad things are but you know we also have to kind of like try to create solutions you know and like for me is uh you know, when you address fearfulness, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not without fear, uh, but I'm trying to put it in its place and try to understand where it generates from. You know, and fear is a fear is a absolutely it can be a drive for like creativity. And I work with a lot of people that are whose prime primary fear a uh, drive is is fear, and. Um, disregarding on how talented or successful they are, it's usually a pain in the ass to work with them. You know, and, and then there's people which are driven by love and curiosity and, and, and gratitude uh, about the position that they, they, they're allowed to be a person that is creative. You know, this is a privilege. It's a privilege. You, know, you, you have to be grateful to be in that position. And... What you do, you communicate and, and you work and you, and, and you try to express what you believe in is right. And you don't, you know, you don't, don't make amends to some stores for, for bullshits, you know. Like a lot of great, you know, things that were great ideas at one point, like jazz or rock and roll. Fantastic ideas, fantastic ideologies, fantastic concepts. Where there are now storefronts for bullshit, and you have, and unless you recognize that, and you and you refuse to waste your uh, your talent, you know, or your gift for this, we're not going to proceed into this next thing. You know, we're going to be waiting for the next Bob Dylan or the next Hendrix forever. Yeah. And they are all amongst us, you know. There's great guys, you know. I mean, you know, like James Blake, for instance, and is exceptional musician, you know, exceptional art. It's great, you know. I mean, there's people around there. So what I will say, you know, I mean, to, you know, put that very complicated um, subject into some sort of like maybe a helpful analogy, which I've been trying to do for for myself to deal with this anxiety and fear. Yeah. I mean, we have to understand, like, you can't have, when it, you know, once it, when it concerns the outside world, I'm not saying the inside world and, you know, the inner peace that yet you can have, but the outside world, yeah. uh, you cannot have the cake and eat it. Right. So on one side you have security, and on the other side you have freedom, right? Now, what we see right now, like people are so scared and so scared that they, they sacrifice freedom for security. And that's a recipe for disaster. 
um, to say the least, uh, it incapacitates any growth, cultural growth or new culture. Yeah. You know, there's you cannot create anything if you if if you're too scared to 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 take up on the risks that 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 the freedom demands of you. You know, you will not discover new continents if you're too scared to lose sight of the old shoreline. So I think that's, you know, you push that boat into the ocean and you, and you have faith that what you believe in is right. And I think it's not tolerance or anything, or I think it's only reason about like, you know, that you feel, oh, okay, there is this fire. And then what is this thing that I like about Mozart? Or Ellington, or Gustav Mahler, or 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 or, or Hendrix, or the Beatles, or Aphex Twin, or you know what is it that I like about this, and then try to find that within yourself, you know, and then nurture that flame, and ex and express that through your art, and because that will inspire the next generation. This is something that the, the generation that came before me has not really done, yeah. and I th so I. Th I think that's why I'm trying to do this, you know, and trying to create magic because there's no more magic in music or in, in popular culture music. There's no more magic really. It's all bland and everything sounds the same and there's a reason for that. And to maybe put one more analogy into it, I think the reason for this, and also the reason why people are scared right now and run to embrace the wrong prophets to kind of like get, get them out of this mess is, and you know, I don't have, you know, I'm not a sociologist or, or anything. I, I just think about this a lot. And, and as an artist, I believe we, we have a, we feel things before they manifest in in society or they or before they manifest in in science art is always first um, and I believe that the protocol of industrialism or industrialization which is about 200 years old is at the end of the rope because technology develops at the incremental speed so industrialization relies on planning and planning relies on prospection into the future. Now, back in 1985, the future was still 15, 20, 30 years. Now we cannot even prospect three months from now. We yeah. don't know what type of world we were. So which means the protocol of industrialization is out of the window. And the people who call the shots right now are stuck is, are being held hostage by this protocol because this is the only thing that they know and their existence and they, their, 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 their purpose relies on upholding this outdated protocol uh, like a monkey trapped in, inside a monkey trap, you know, this like little ball, a box with, with like a knot inside and they cannot pull, pull them, their, their fist free because the hole is too small. And they don't realize they need to let go of what keeps them trapped in order to, put, to, to pull themselves free. So that industrialism 
uh, protocol that is connected to uh, you know our greed and you know materialism and and ultimately you know ultimately uh, um, uh, capitalism you know uh, is coming to its end. So I think that the new way is not planning but preparing to improvise and, and, and reclaiming the human ability to be creative on the spot. And this in jazz is one of the most powerful ingredients to really to, to improvise, you know, not just to do shed scales or whatever, or, you know, but, but you know, to, to be able to deal beautifully with unforeseen and maybe cumbersome situations, you know. I think that is what I'm trying to communicate and uh, this is what I believe is important right now. Do you think it's the, the healthiest time um, in terms of communication and what's available to an independent artist such as you or such as me or such as so many people out there? Do you think it's actually the healthiest time? I mean, you hear so many people talking about how the music industry is dead because they're thinking of the mu music industry in the context of the 60s or the 70s or the 80s and they're not admitting what technology is affording us to be able to do now. Do you see it as a very healthy time as a band leader and as a composer and as an improviser to uh, be heard? And to be, and to be able to find some level of success and communication with what it is you want to do. Do you think it's a very healthy time right now? With well, I mean, this is once again, this is like a really big one, and you know, I will probably talk out of my ass if I would get into it too too deeply. Uh, you know, I. I mean, you said you self-promoted your most recent tour, for instance. Well, in yeah, the UK. I mean, yeah, I had to self-promote it because. Um, but had to. That's really interesting that you say you had to self-promote yes, it. Okay. I had to self-promote it and it panned out. I mean, we sold out our shows in London. Um, but okay, to be, to be fair, uh, I have the opportunity to do that, you know, because I have money and, and, and I, have a, I have a certain reputation. You know, I, I don't have to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. But no matter what, you know, like uh, uh, Fletcher Henderson situation, you know, he had all the odds against him and a lot of these people that, that created great art. And I think this is one of the, you know, one of the things about, you know, great art happens when you have the odds against you, yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, if that wouldn't be true, then rock and roll would have never happened. Right. You know, it's against doing something against the odds. And with, you know, with the idealistic point of view into like to create a better future um, you know more just just future I mean it's, yeah it's all about the basic values it's all about uh, curiosity uh, compassion uh, you know all those things you know uh, courage uh, and I would say you know like it's like uh, you need some sort of like rewards every once in a while. You know, you can't, you, you cannot go forever without something from the outside, you know. But uh, I kind of like learn to be more appreciative of like, you know, anyone who would 
share his time to listen to my music because you know when we're going to arrive in like a a time where we're like 70 year old men are going to water ski with 18 year old models in virtual reality when this becomes a with it this becomes the pastime then a a genuine human being who's going to listen to you with the genuine concern about what you have to say is going to be a very precious and a very rare commodity. So I think with all the technology, we have to understand how to use it because right now we're being enslaved by it. You know, I don't, I don't believe technology, you know, virtual uh, um, artificial intelligence is not around the corner. I think it's going to take a couple of hundred years or maybe even a thousand years. It's probably going to happen at some point, you know, if you don't destroy our kind before, yeah. you know. But um, I think, uh, uh, you know, nobody's really concerned with, like, the risk that he's taken uh, to surrender everything he, he is to all those platforms, you know. I mean, with that big data is a big problem, you know, and, uh, and I find it very disconcerting that people are not more, more concerned about it. Uh, it's, this, is, this, is, could some, this could be something that, like, within no time could be a serious problem to our civil, civil liber liberties and our abilities to, to create, you know. So uh, whatever it is, I mean, uh, the social network gives me the independence to, to promote my own shows without a record company that otherwise will tell me what to do. You know, so this is good. This is good. Once again, you know, you have to choose your battles. And, but what, what I feel, what is nice, I mean, I've been, doing, I've been doing what I do for like a very, very long time. I mean, uh, you know, I was not the only one, you know, there was, a, there, was, there was a handful of people that started this thing about 20 years ago, like, you know, myself, uh, the Anthony Parks, you know, there was a couple, couple of people that, that branched out, drummers. And uh, we're able to, to do what we do, which is a big, big reward. I mean, you know, I won't be driving a gold plate a Bentley anytime soon, uh, but that's okay because uh, I, I precious the, the, the validity to have the freedom to create the music that I believe in. And I don't have to make any amends. You know, I, can, I have the luxury to turn down as many gigs as I have to, you know, I, I, you know, I was, I, I think last time I took a gig because I had to, that's like maybe 18 years ago, you know, so I, I had a good fare about that. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to see that it has an effect, you know, I can see the DNA, the DNA of what I created being reflected in like, you know, David Bowie's last record. I can see this record would sound different if I hadn't done what I did. Or, or I got a really very kind uh, message uh, a couple of weeks ago from Brian Eno, who, who wrote to me that, uh, that uh, what I've been doing has been very influential on him for the past th three years, and that his, his upcoming project is, uh, is profoundly influenced by uh, by what I've been doing with Nerve, so you know, to coming from him, you yeah. know, that is a that is a 
as a compliment of like the highest order, which is very, very motivating, you know, and go like, ah, okay, I wish there was more people in, in Sheffield at our gig, <laughs> but uh, we're going to come back, you know. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's always so good to talk to you, man. And, uh, yeah, thanks for giving thanks me the platform. The time, yeah. Always. You know, man. Thank <laughs> you, sir. <laughs> So thank you for listening. I'm Yannick Wustala. This is the Yannick Wustala podcast. <laughs>